Welcome to Leading with Inclusion, a new series on the Life in Digital podcast that provides tangible tools and insights for diversity, inclusion and equity in the digital sector. In this series, we will be talking to industry leaders, experts and advocates who are driving change within their organisations and pushing for a more inclusive digital landscape. Our podcast started in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, and DEI is something that we want to keep front of mind for our listeners. With that being said, we're kicking off with Nareen Patel, trustee of NABS and founder of Media for All. MIFA came about after Naren discovered that despite 200,000 Londoners working in media, less than 10% of the workforce is non-white and less than 4% hold positions in C-suite groups. What started as a speed mentoring session where all the industry leaders were people of colour quickly turned into the network MIFA, representing and supporting hundreds of black, Asian and other ethnic talent in the media industry. We hope you will enjoy. Do you want to start and kick us off with a bit of an intro to you and your background? Sure. Um, so I, uh, kind of a media dinosaur now probably, started in the industry in 1991 uh, in at home and that's where I had my kind of whole career, uh, generally with a firm called PrimeSight, mm-hmm. which I kind of built up. I think I went back and uh, I think the billings when I joined were about five million and I left it was over a hundred. Uh, and I took it through a few different ownerships. I floated it on the stock exchange. Uh, I then sold it to Scottish Media Group and then bought it back. And then the last deal we did is when we sold it to Global Media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to Global with business and was part of the team that did the rollout acquisition of Exterian and made Global kind of number one in radio and also number one in outdoor. Um, after that, uh, kind of my services were not acquired at Global, uh, and I think we sold the business in 2018, and I left in about 2020, so I was there for about 18 months. Um, so that's kind of my kind of work, main work event. Um, I'm quite heavily involved in kind of things like the Advertising Association, I'm a trustee at NABS, um, and uh, I set up me for, for Media for All after um, having dinner with Karen Blackett and we were at the NABS big ball and we turned to each other and it was like we're the only two non-white people as far as we could see in the room and we were sat next to each other and I'm a big fan of Karen's uh, um, she's a good friend and we were speaking about kind of what was going on and she she gave me the stats and I was I was quite shocked you know with um, media being uh, less than 10% non-white, but London, you know, probably 35%. And the new census data, which is coming out soon, will probably have it as over 40%. Mm-hmm. And then you go to C-suite and, um, you know, uh, ethnic minority groups, less than 4% in C-suite. So we've got a real issue where um, the industry just wasn't getting, re- attracting talent. Um, and that's kind of what... I tried to do with MIFA. Uh, you've got some amazing organizations like, you know, Wackle, Bloom, uh, which kind of help women in our sector, but we've got nothing for minorities. Um, and that's that's kind of where I got started. So I contacted people from ethnic backgrounds that I knew, um, 
people like Dara and Twitter and Nishma, Rob, Kama, um, Dino Myers. Uh, I'm going to forget the rest of them. It was, it was a long time ago, but it was a great crew. And we sat down and had dinner. And we wanted to change the world. You know, it's kind of like when we all meet, it's like, yeah, we'll do this, we'll do that. And then we realized next day we've all got day jobs. I was still working at the time. Um, so what we landed on was, was speed mentoring. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I said, listen, what's, what's, what's easy lifting for us, but then can create an impact. Um, so I approached NABS and I, I said to Diana Tickell, who was the CEO at the time, I said, because NABS do speed mentoring events regularly where they get, you know, industry leaders turn up uh, and then you get about 40 or 50 juniors and you go around the room in tables and mm-hmm. you just offer your advice. And I said to Diana, I said, what, what if we had a session where all the industry leaders were from black, Asian or other ethnic minority backgrounds? And she was like, oh, God, how would that work? How would yeah. we, you know, how would we actually sell this? I said, listen, everyone's invited, you know, we're not going to kind of make it an exclusive event. The idea is to showcase that talent exists at a senior level. Yeah. There's not a lot of it, <laughs> but there is some of it. And what we're trying to show people is this is an industry. If you work hard, get along, you can get here. Um, and we put on the event um, and I think it was at Google's offices. As I said, normally these events have like 50 people, 60 people turn up. We had like 150. Wow. It was ridiculous. The energy and kind of that kind of got me going, right? Yeah, we definitely need to do this. So um, kind of a couple of years later after I finished working, um, and I was kind of like, oh, what should I do next? Um, in my head, I was like, well, what if I took MIFA, which we were about 20 people at MIFA at the time and really put some energy behind it, time and energy, because I had time mm. in the middle of COVID. Um, and um, it's sort of like giving something back to the industry. And um, so I started trying to increase the MIFA network, finding more people of color within the industry, yeah. getting them to join. And then of course we had uh, the murder of George Floyd yeah. and it exploded, mm-hmm. you know, so all of a sudden we had an increase in people wanting to join me for I had companies reaching out to me asking me for my advice on on diversity what yeah. we should do um, and I'm you know I can do I'm pretty good at posters yeah. not bad at media yeah I'm no DNI expert yeah so I think that's kind of really really important to say so I, I put myself on an online course out of Northwestern University just so I could speak with some authority mm-hmm. but um, what we don't do is do DNI training or, you know, that's not what we're about. Uh, so MIFA's got three pillars, recruit, retain, rise. Yeah. Recruitment is um, really to make sure that our members are aware of jobs that are going in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, so just making them aware. We do that um, two ways. Uh, we have 14 sponsors, uh, companies like Global, Clear Channel, Media Brands, Omnicom have just joined us. And uh, we have a membership uh, kind of community website, like a closed LinkedIn group. Yeah. And so first of all, our sponsors post all their jobs on there, which we then amplify with our members. But we've also got a very busy WhatsApp group. So we're now up to 650 members. Wow. It was 20 at this point. So all those members in their companies when jobs are being posted, 
they're putting it on the WhatsApp group, sometimes on the platform saying, hey guys, got this offering in my business. Anyone interested in applying, let me know. Mm-hmm. And even though people might not have met one another, just the fact that there's someone there mm. who's part of the same community, I think it just makes it easier for you to apply. And yeah. make, you know, it's it, there's a barrier that's gone, right? Because that's going to be a nice place to work. Someone in the community works there. Yeah. I can ask them what it's like. Um, so that's kind of recruitment. We also have a partnership with the ARC Academy. So the ARC Academy runs schools in disadvantaged areas of the UK. Um, and so that a lot of their students are overwhelmingly black or Asian or they're, or mixed ethnic. Um, and what we do with them is either we go into the schools and talk about media. Most people I know got into media by mistake. Even myself, you know, I kind of saw an ad, an ad in Evening Standard uh, apply to it. But most people don't think about, hey, I, I want to have a career selling billboards or mm. buying radio or doing media research. You kind of accidentally fall into it. Uh, so what we want to do is go into schools and tell them about the sector. Because I think the sector is brilliant. I've had, you know, brilliant 30 years uh, in, in, in media. And I think it's a shame that other people aren't aware of it. Yeah. So we go and talk to them about the sector. Uh, and then what we started doing as well is with our sponsors, we hold kind of inspiration days, you know, so they come in to the sponsors' offices, mm. the sponsors talk to them about the sector, what it's like to work at, let's say, Clear Channel. These are our products. This is digital out of home. Isn't it really cool? Yeah. Um, and it gets, you know, the whole I thing is to inspire these kids to start thinking about media as a sector. So that's recruitment. Yeah. Retention is literally about, um, we have a real issue in terms of ethnic talent coming in and then leaving. Yeah. So how do we kind of make them feel a bit more welcome? You know, and that's all through the creation of this community um, where all of a sudden there are people, you know, in the industry, they might not be working at your company, but they look like you, they talk like you, they've had the same challenges, they can identify and, um, so that's kind of where this community bit comes in. It's all about trying to retain the talent that we're getting in. And then retention uh, uh, rises all around, um, which is the third pillar, is all around mentoring, training. So we, we don't really do training, but we'll do, we're doing workshops for our members. So we'll get people in, talk about confidence. Um, but mentoring is kind of our core offering even even now. So the first year when I was doing it by myself, uh, we had about 50 people that we put in. Um, we're trying to match. So we use our platforms. When you go into the platform, you've got to put in like, these are the skills I can offer. This is the sector I work in, years of experience. And then if you're looking to be, to be mentored, you put in, these are the skills I'm looking for, this is the sector I work in. And, uh, and uh, the computer kind of, does a match, you know, it's never perfect. So you've got to kind of check everything. But um, last second year, we took 130. This last year was over 170. This year, we've already had 200 people register mm. to be mentored. <laughs> wow. Okay. And I don't think I've got enough. I don't think I've got enough mentors. So that's yeah. my, uh, my, my, one of my current challenges is, you know, and hopefully people will listen to this podcast and go, I'd love to mentor someone. The only thing is, we are a closed community, so you have to be from a black Asian or an ethnic American group to join. And as you can imagine, I've got lots of friends who are senior, ex-colleagues who are white, and they're always going, oh, but I can help. I'm like, well, I think, I 
think we need to try and do this ourselves. Yeah. Um, and it's also this whole thing about having a safe space to talk. Um, so that's uh, our big challenge for next year just currently is uh, a lot of us take two. So I generally have two mentees every year. I'm about to do three next year, but I've got a bit more time than most people. So, so that's kind of me yeah. for all and, um, and what we do. There's a lot going on there. And yeah. that all sparked from that initial dinner you said. Yeah, I think, it, well, it all sparked initially from that conversation with Karen. I mean, it's, I mean, I look back um, and, you know, my company was definitely more diverse than most, but it wasn't by design. It's not like we had policies on, you know, recruitment, recruiting diverse hires. I think it's just that I was at the head of the company and therefore people came in and probably felt a bit more comfortable. Um, but that initial conversation with Karen. I still remember I got home at like, it was 12.30 at night, might have been later. And I went to my desktop and I Googled it. I said, I don't believe London, those stats that Karen gave me. I looked at it and I was like, God, this industry. I mean, we've got to do better because it's a fantastic place to work. And it's a shame that we're not getting more ethnic minority talent in. I mean, there's all the other stuff, of course, like, you know, the work should be better, you know, with more diverse thought, you know, all this, all the, all the research. The main company that has done a lot of research in this area is McKinsey. Mm -hmm. uh, I recommend you download their reports. There's, I think, three of them. And, you know, so diverse companies when it comes to ethnicity are 35% more likely to outperform the sector. When it comes to gender, it's 15% more likely to outperform the sector. So the research is there, you know, it's just, it's difficult and it's yeah. hard, you know, so that takes work. It takes work. It takes work. It takes mm -hmm. a real effort. And um, you mentioned it exploded when George Floyd's yeah. murder happened. Um, and lots of people did start hiring or, or really putting the emphasis yeah. on hiring diverse talent. But you mentioned that retention has been really tricky in the industry. Mm. I guess we're starting to see that. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is? And what's, yeah. is, there, is there a catalyst or is it just a multitude of different things? No, so I think, I think businesses uh, have started doing the first bit really well, which is getting the talent in. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you can change your recruitment practices. I mean, we used to have recruitment bounties, right? So the problem with recruitment bounties, the great thing about recruitment bounties is they save you recruitment fees, which I'm sure you... It's a recruitment so a recruitment bounty is when one of your staff, let's say you're looking for a new account exec, yeah, and you, you tell everyone, hey, we're looking for a new account exec. And one of the people who work for you goes, hey, I know this guy. It's a referral. It's a referral, and they might get a thousand pounds, right? Yes which is wonderful compared to the fees that a lot of recruitment firms charge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're just hiring the same sort of people. Yeah. Right. Because you're hiring all the people that work for you yes. and, and their friends who are likely to be just like them. Right. Yeah. So, um, so kind of recruitment, a lot of companies have done away with recruitment bounties. They're insisting on diverse pools. They're making sure that, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the homework on, right, okay, how many people were in the pool? Yes. And how many made it through? And, you know, really, on average, it should match the population. Mm 
mm. right? And so they're doing that work, you know, lots of bias training uh, to make sure that you're, you know, really hiring for skills, not just because somebody's going to fit in. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and also I think people are beginning to realize it's not always the best candidate in terms of uh, CV that's going to be the best employee. Mm. You know, I mean, the, I've employed hundreds of people in my life, right? And every time I thought I employed the best person, mm -hmm. I mean, I probably had a 25 to 30% failure rate, like probably most people. And it's just because I was also looking, I was looking for people with skills, but actually I'm looking for people with skills who can fit into our culture. Mm. Not looking at, looking at people with skills who can grow our culture, improve our thinking, improve yeah. our creativity. You know, that's what you kind of need to do. You, you know, you've got to get different, you know, the analogy people use is always a football club. I mean, you just, you just employ strikers, wouldn't you? If you're looking for the best, mm. you'd have 11 players, all of whom are strikers, and you'd lose every football match, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Because that's the best, that's yeah. in football, that's the best player or the most valuable. Uh, but you need, you need balance. Uh, and I think that's, that bit businesses have done well. So I'd say tick the box, right? The second bit's harder, right? Because this is where it becomes about inclusion. And what I kind of try and tell people is, imagine that you're a young Asian kid in Wembley, right? Your school's probably been 80, 90% Asian. You know, your neighborhood is 90% Asian. You go to high school, same. You might go to university. Guess what happens in university? There's an Asian students club, yeah, right? Okay. So guess what? You hang out with all the Asian kids, right? Yeah. Listen, this, this is not everyone, of course, mm -hmm. but I'm kind of, it's an analogy. Get through, you know, you might get a first. You get a job in a media agency or a media owner. You go in there and you're like, oh, this is a bit strange. Yeah. There's no one here who looks like me, talks like me. Apart from the few people who work in finance and maybe IT, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> Up, you know, and therefore, all of a sudden, I think you've got this whole issue around confidence. Um, so I think I think companies that need to work a lot harder on making sure people fit in, right? Uh, and secondly, I think this is where this principle of equity comes in, right? So you could have two people exactly the same qualifications they come out but a minority might need a bit more help mm. you know whether it's a bit more training um and the thing that all the research says the thing that works best is uh, a program of sponsorship mm. so this is where you have you know senior talent across the organization literally taking these you know somebody like this under their wing, you know, and just making them feel, giving them a bit of training, helping them along, you know, they're all going to be, you know, I'm going to suffer with imposter syndrome and go, you know, I don't really deserve to be here. Providing reassurance, not managing them, yeah. you know, but um, all the stuff that I've read, that's probably the one bit that works the better. Okay, there's lots of stuff companies can do about which most companies are doing, which is around bias training and, 
you know, kind of, but ultimately you've got to get, you've got to get these people to stick. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite, and again, just raising the point you said, so a lot of people I speak to go, Iran, you know, post George Floyd, we put all this effort, we got all these minority hires in, you know, two years later, they've all gone. And I'm like, okay, right. Tell me about your white colleagues that you employed two years ago. How many of them are still here? Mm-hmm. And they're going, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, we all know after two years in any company, most, most young talent leave. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, that's the media game. You know, you're getting your two or 3% increases. All of a sudden you've got two years of experience. Hey, I can get five grand there or seven grand yeah. there or 10 grand. You leave. And I said, the problem you've got is you put so much effort into employing minority talent, it pisses you off when they leave. Okay. <laughs> you feel like Jill to John. You know, what's going on? I've put, you know, what, but actually, I always say, look at your stats. Yeah. You know, so I think, I think people, um, people feel like they, you know, they've done something amazing by getting all these minority hires jobs and when they leave they're like oh i can't believe i can't believe they're leaving us yeah and you're like well it's don't don't do it for that reason yeah. do it because it's good for your business um and, and you know the other thing is um i you know a lot of companies have started tracking so the met you know so for the first i mean you know this all started with the aa survey where the first time we got proper numbers on makeup of the industry in terms of the all-in survey. Um, and what's been great since then, businesses have started track. Most businesses didn't know their ethnic makeup, right? If you went back to 20, 2019, yeah. I'd say if you ask most businesses, apart from the agencies, because they had to do it for kind of the IPA and all that sort of stuff, most media owners didn't know this. I didn't know my stats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, so why would anyone else? You knew male, female, you probably know age, but you wouldn't know what what's your ethnic makeup. And I think um, that's been great because now people are going, they're putting in targets where we want to get to, managers yeah. are being incentivized to make sure the numbers get better. Um, but I think what people don't do is enough work on why people leave, mm. you know, and it's all there, you know, you check performance appraisals, exit interviews, you know, there's enough, there's a wealth of information which needs to be looked at to understand the evidence as to why people are leaving, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, some of the stuff I've read is if you look at uh, minorities, they don't, if you look at uh, whites versus non-whites, um, a word like leadership appearing, leadership potential appearing on performance appraisals doesn't really happen. Yeah, it's just it's just the fact. But unless you go in and do the work, yeah, you know, do the analysis to go, what 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 is happening here? Because um, we don't we don't apply a business process strategy when it comes to this area enough you know when things are going wrong let's say things are going wrong in sales right in revenue what you do you sit around you go right what's going wrong yeah you know are our people not making enough calls are our competition getting better is our is our pricing wrong you know what's you know but 
with 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 inclusion, I just don't think people are, are doing the hard yards. Yeah. And maybe sometimes it's because they don't want to hear the answers as to why people are leaving. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a nice answer, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no one's yeah. going to go, I'm leaving here because I really love it. Yeah, and I think for some people it will drop in the priority list, won't it? Yeah. Um, but it's about having, so for you it's about having data. I think, I think I don't think you can have a DNI strategy within a business mm-hmm. unless you know your numbers. Yeah. I think it's almost impossible. And what do you think is working well in the industry? Have you started to see, now that you are partnering with more businesses with yeah. the mentorship programme, what is working? Uh, listen, I, I definitely think um, in whatever it is, two years, two and a half years, the industry's come a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Advertising Association All-In Survey is rehappening this year, and I expect to see significant improvements, yeah. both in numbers. So I think, you know, whatever it was, 10% is going to be up. Uh, I think C-suite will be up, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm confident uh, of that. So I think businesses are, are working hard, right? Um, I always remember the when the AA survey came out, um, and because we with MIFA we'd been going about a year, mm-hmm. and so one of the things in the AA survey was, and they were talking about inclusion and the problems with inclusion, and it was something like just under twenty percent of blacks and Asians, and and mixed uh, had suffered discrimination in the workplace, right, and like one in three were looking to leave, mm-hmm. and it kind of broke my heart. You know, I was mm-hmm. kind of going. What the hell's going on here? This is, if, if that had happened pre-George Floyd, I'd have kind of got, I get it. This is after George Floyd. And um, I was speaking to another friend of mine about this because I was like, totally, you know, like, what am I doing here? Why am I wasting the time on this? Uh, and they just said, you know, I mean, what, what businesses need to do next is change culture, right? And that takes time. Mm. Not helped by things like COVID where people aren't in the office. You know, one of the great things I loved about working in media was the friendships, the camaraderies, you know, you know, the Friday afternoons in the pub or in the coffee shop, mm-hmm. you know, um, and my clients were my friends, yeah. my competitors were my competitors, but they were also friends, you know, and I think, I think it's sad that not enough people are experiencing that bit of our industry mm-hmm. as it was. Um, I think working from home is a, for me, I think it's a disaster, particularly for young talent. Um, so I think I think businesses are on the path. I just think, you know, I think it's going to take seven to nine years, seven to ten years before yeah. we get there. We're on year three, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I think um, I think uh, there's a famous quote by Bill Gates where he says we tend to overestimate what we can achieve in the short term yeah. and underestimate what we can achieve in the long term. Yeah. And I'm hoping Bill's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know if this is controversial, but so if a person is in a business and they're not seeing that change, they're not feeling supported, but they do want to succeed, it's a tricky market at the mm. moment. What can those individuals do? So I think 
Okay, I think compared to when I started, mm -hmm. I think it's re you know with with things like social media, with LinkedIn, with Twitter, even I'd say Instagram now for business, there are really easy ways of raising your profile. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, you can have a you can have a view on things. You know, comment about bits of work. Um, so I think standing out is a lot easier than it used to be. Yeah. I mean, you might, you know, 30 years ago, you might write a letter to a campaign or media where you can get published. Yeah. Um, but now, I mean, it's, you can, you can get out there. Yeah. And I think if you're consistent and um, I think you'd be, be careful what you, you know, I always say write positive stories. Mm -hmm. um, I think you'll get noticed. You know, it's easy to tag people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's easy to follow people. Uh, and I think, I think people just need to invest in their own brand. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I think people who are brave enough to have an opinion that's authentic and add something. Yeah. You know, you, you'd never want to lose those people. Uh, and I think it's 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 there to be done. So I, I think there's definitely uh, the younger generation are a bit less patient when it comes to kind Very of true. wanting to move move fast. Um, uh, and I think um, I think people there is a bit about writing things out. And don't get don't get the first you know don't you know I always when when I was running a business I knew that most of my staff if they spent two weeks looking for work right they could get another five grand yeah you know contact all the agents you know you'd get it right uh, and my one of the things about my job used to be right how do I stop them from doing it mm. right so I think companies have that responsibility of kind of creating a culture where people go, it is five grand, but I really love it here. Yeah, okay. and, and five grand after tax is like two grand, and that's like 150 quid a month. And how do you build that? Um, listen, I think it takes time. Mm. So I, uh, we had a culture at PrimeSet, which I used to say like, uh, so I, uh, my thing was, uh, imagine you've had the best weekend, maybe in the middle of summer, at a festival, it was fantastic. It's Monday morning and you've got to go to work, right? Uh, my goal was to make people want to run to work on a Monday morning because they so loved the workplace, they so loved their colleagues. Um, and so everything we did in terms of running the business was based on that. I saw somebody jog once, but it was raining. <laughs> I don't think they were actually running, running to work. But I, you know, I think you've got to have, for me, that was my, so if we were thinking about something like, all right, okay, oh God, you know, we're going to have to, yeah, we're going to have to reduce the number of spreads in the kitchen because we've got like 10 different ones. And I, and I go, well, okay, is that going to make people want to run to work? You know, because somebody might really like pineapple jam, right? <laughs> but but that, that's kind of the, that, you know it, it's it's questioning you know all the stuff that's coming at you when it comes to doing things with people um, 
I mean, we were one of the first companies to offer flexible working, you know, way back. Yeah. But, you know, it used to be like 10 to 4 were core hours. Anything apart from that, do what you want, right? And changing the mindset away from inputs, which is everyone's in at 9 and yeah. everyone leaves at 5.30 to outputs. Measure outputs, not inputs. Um, and I remember doing that and being terrified, you know, because all of a sudden you think, oh, God, productivity is just going to go through the floor. You know, how, you know, you know, how are we going to monitor who's coming in and who's going? Mm -hmm. But you know what? We treated everyone well and staff loved it. Yeah. They loved the fact that, you know what? I've got a dental dentist appointment at 4.30. I don't have to worry about getting permission. Four o'clock, you just pack your bags, go. Mm -hmm. You might want to inform someone, say, guys, just, just let you know I'm leaving early because I've got to go. But you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, I think that sort of stuff we did really early on when, when no one was even doing flexible working. That made people kind of want to go, yeah, I want to work here and I, I don't want to stay. And I think kind of going back to what we're talking about, that's, that's the way businesses need to think, not about retaining ethnic minority talent, but, but all talent, mm. uh, because it's expensive mm. <laughs> and it's disruptive. And, you know, I think it's really, I think you need a bit of churn, you know, and I think, you know, when people left because they were getting a promotion at a great company, no one was happier than me. Yeah. yeah? Um, but if people are going to move sideways, and I think mm -hmm. that I used to always go, we've got to do better. Yeah. And I just want to go back to mentorship because yeah. that worked well or is working well. Yeah. You're seeing a big uplift in people who want to be mentors yeah. or mentees. Yeah. For the mentor, where you're not finding you, that's like your aim for this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have you gotten out of being a mentor? I think you get an. First of all, I think you learn. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a lady who worked at Pomatic this year. Yeah. Right. I, I'm clueless. I, I'm a bit better than I was a few years ago. Um, but that whole side of it, of the industry, I've learned so much just by, you know, sitting, talking to her. She explains what she does, explains how, how it works, you know. So I think, I think, I always believe you could never stop learning. Mm -hmm. And I'd say a chunk of the people in MIFA are mentors and mentees. Yeah. You know, because I, I've always gone to this thing, you can never, never stop learning. Um, so I think you'll always learn, you know, something about a, a different sector, you know, a different industry. It might have mentored people on the agency side, you know, what are their pressures, you know, so I think it gives anybody a much more rounded, it's very rare that we go, okay, you know, you work in cinema advertising, we're going to tie you, pair you up with somebody else in cinema advertising. That's kind of like mm. beats the point, really. Mm -hmm. But if you work in cinema, I'm going to put you in with somebody who works in TV. Okay, that's interesting. You know, um, so I think I think you learn. I think it's just about growing a network. I mean, I've been doing this for uh, now four years. I meet all my mentors, mm -hmm. <laughs> the ones that you know, because it's six months, and then it's never okay. I'll never speak to you again. Yeah. It's like whenever you need me, yeah, call me. Right, big or small, send me a WhatsApp. I'll get back in touch with you. Um, so I think it's just it's it's kind of nice. 
you know, new different people that you'd never meet, yeah. different industry, different sectors, um, and I think I always learn something. Mm. No, amazing. And how do people get involved? So, in terms of uh, if you're from a Black, Asian, or other ethnic minority background, all you do is go into our website, which is mediaforall.org.uk. You can sign on there saying, I want to be a, you can come in as a mentor, you can come in as a member or a mentee. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to then endure a 30 minute presentation from me. Okay, nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just because I kind of want people to know what they're coming in for. Yeah. Um, I show them the membership platform. Uh, there's no fee for joining, there's no charge for membership. Uh, we talk to them about the events that we hold. Um, so we kind of hold quite a lot of events with our sponsors, which are generally around diversity in the workforce. You know, and, uh, we'll go into their offices, their staff will be listening, but it's also, they're, they're all on kind of YouTube. We record everything. Um, and it just kind of, you know, you're having a conversation that could be uncomfortable, is uncomfortable, but we're all just talking openly about it, you know, so it's, it becomes more comfortable. Yeah. Um, and um, so that's, you know, you get in and then with all these things, you get back as much as you put in, you know, mm-hmm. so I always say we've got a third of our membership who are pretty active. They'll come to a lot of events, a third in the middle, they'll turn up maybe once a year. And then you've got a third who've signed up and probably forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> and they're getting emails from us and go, going, what the hell is this about? Really? <laughs> But it's fine. We've got their details, so we can always we can always reach them. So that's you know that's kind of getting involved. It's it's really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, we, I always end my presentations by uh, because after the mentoring program, we ask people for feedback, and we've got you know a few lines you know at the end of our presentation, which is all about you know sense of community, people like me, confidence, um, family, mm-hmm. you know, and. Um, that's the stuff that gives me the most pleasure, really. A big thank you to Noreen for his time. If you want to become a mentor or join the MIFA network, please follow the link in our comments or via our website. We hope you'll join us next time for another episode of Life in Digital.